0: The New Testament lesson is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And in the spirit he carried me away to the, to the great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. He also measures, measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which the angel was using. The wall is built of jasper, while the city is pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx. The sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl, and the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. Now the gospel lesson comes from Matthew 25 and as I read that I thought of Mike and his ministry. Uh, As you read it with me you'll see what I mean. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left then the king will say to those at his right hand come Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it when we, that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And these will go away into inter- eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here ends the lessons.
1: Thank you, Sandy. prophet today is Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was a very, was a very different kind of prophet. Uh, he started his life as a priest and was called to be a prophet at the age of 30. And his call to be a prophet went like this. You might want to sit back and close your eyes on this one. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Kabar. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kebar, and the hand of the Lord was on him there. As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the middle of the fire, something like gleaming amber. In the middle of it was something like four living creatures. This was their appearance. They were of human form. Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings like this. Their wings touched one another. Each of them moved straight ahead without turning as they moved. As for the appearance of their faces, the four had the face of a human being, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Each moved straight ahead. Whether Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. In the middle of the living creatures, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and the lightning issued from the fire. The living creatures darted to and fro like a flash of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel, and the four had the same form, their construction being something like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without veering as they moved. Their rims were tall and awesome, for the rims of all four were full of eyes all around When the living creatures moved and the wheels moved beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they went and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When they moved, the others moved. When they stopped, the others stopped. And when they rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." And over the heads of the living creatures, there was something like a dome, shining like crystal, spread out above their heads. Under their dome, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each of the creatures had two wings covering its body. When they moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of mighty waters, like the thunder of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the dome over their heads. When they stopped, they let down their wings. And above the dome over their heads, there was something like a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was something that seemed like a human form. Upward from what appeared like the lions, I saw something like gleaming amber. Something that looked like fire enclosed all around And downward from what looked like the loins, I saw something that looked like fire. And there was a splendor all around, like the bow in a cloud on a rainy day. Such was the appearance of the splendor all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of someone speaking. He said to me, O mortal, Stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. And you, O mortal, do not be afraid of them, and do not be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns surround you, and you live among scorpions." Do not be afraid of their words, and do not be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, mortal, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I looked. And a hand was stretched out to me, and a written scroll was in it, and he spread it before me. It had writing on it on the front and on the back, and written on it were words of lamentation and mourning and woe. He said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel." And so I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, mortal, eat the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. He said to me, mortal, go to the house of Israel and speak my very words to them. For you are not sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel." Not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Now see, I have made your face hard against their faces, and your forehead hard against their foreheads, like the hardest stone, harder than flint I have made your forehead. Do not fear them or be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. He said to me, mortal, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Then go to the... Then go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. And Then the Spirit of the Lord lifted me up, and as the glory of the Lord rose from its place, I heard behind me the sound, the sound of loud rumbling. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them that sounded like a loud rumbling. The Spirit lifted me up and bore me away. I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who lived by the river Hebar, and I sat there among them, stunned for seven days. Now that's a call. That's a call. And it continues... Like this, these amazing visions, and God having Ezekiel do uh, some crazy and odd things—laying on his side and eating barley—and uh, there's a variety of odd, odd things that God has him do and these visions uh, that God takes him to and shows to him. Uh, and for Ezekiel, these kind of these visions offer this a vision of God that is wholly other. God is completely other than us and completely transcendent. God is so far above humanity as to be incomprehensible in, in in power, in sight, in wisdom, in strength. God is just completely incomprehensible. And so Ezekiel constantly is using these phrases like it was like the appearance of something or it had the appearance of the likeness of something. I I mean, Ezekiel can't even even describe it with a first-order analogy. He's got to do an analogy of the analogy. I saw this thing. And I can't say that it was like a wheel, but it had the appearance of something that maybe looked wheel like. Right? I saw something that would be like what probably the appearance of the glory of the Lord might look like. This holy transcendent and other God is the God for Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is always called mortal. In this book, whenever God talks to Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel mortal. Again, uh, developing that difference between God as the divine ultimate being and Ezekiel as the mere mortal. Exemplifying that vast gulf between the divine being and us. And it's an important distinction for prideful people to be reminded of. And Ezekiel's vision comes to him in an in-between time. An in-between time. Uh, The the vision comes to him in the year 593. And about 10 years or 15 years before the country of Babylon uh, off to the east of Israel had become very powerful and it had kind of swung around through the north and come down through Assyria, which was the country just to the north of, of Israel, and conquered Assyria. And then a few years, about the year 610, 609. And then about the year 605, uh, they swept through the south and went in and conquered Egypt. These two great powers uh, that have been the powers in the Middle East. Babylon has conquered them and hasn't conquered Judah, but Judah's right in the middle of that. I mean, the Hebrew people and a couple other countries are right in the middle of what was now the Babylonian Empire. And so, you know, for all all intents and purposes, Judah was basically uh, a conquered people. And Judah tried a couple of times to to shake Babylon off, uh, but it didn't work, and it annoyed Babylon. So uh, Babylonian rulers conquered Jerusalem although didn't destroy it yet but conquered Jerusalem and took the king Jehoiakim and most of the ruling class and about 3000 people and sent them into exile in Babylon that was in 597 and they set up king Zedekiah as a puppet king in Judah so Judah is still kind of a country but not really and Ezekiel has his vision according to his dating it happens on July 31st 593 B.C. After some of the people have been sent into exile, and this is a time of suffering, a time of people wondering, has God abandoned them? Can they worship God in a foreign country? That was the question the exiles are asking themselves. We live in a different nation now. Can we worship God here? Is God even present here, or is God only in Judah, And we've already lost Israel, and it looks like we're going to lose Judah. What does that mean about our relationship with God? And this is the time, this exile time, that Psalm 137 is written, that begins, by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, and there we wept, when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. And Ezekiel has a series of visions of seeing something like the appearance of the glory of the Lord, he has a series of separate visions where he sees the this appearance of the glory of the Lord rise up out of the temple where God was thought to live, and it floats above the temple, and then a vision where that then moves to the mountain or the hill off to the east of Jerusalem, which is the Mount of Olives, and then a vision of the glory of the Lord uh, leaving Judah entirely and going into into Babylon. And in Ezekiel's visions, the glory of the Lord is leaving because of the people's apostasy. They've been worshiping other gods. We've talked about this all the past few weeks. They're worshiping other gods, and they're not treating people with justice and kindness. They're not doing anything that God wants them to do. And so God is going to leave them. And partly God leaves them because then God's going to come back and destroy much of what they had. But also, God's going to Babylon. Where the exiled people are. And God will also wait there for the other exiles who will come later. He's going to wait for him. And we owe much of our thought about God's presence in all places and times to Ezekiel and other people at this time as they were struggling with this issue of of clearly God is no longer confined to a place, the temple, or a particular country, Israel or Judah and that God can be everywhere, even in foreign nations. And Ezekiel is warning also the people that are left in Judah that their time is almost over. And he's telling his fellow exiled people in Babylon that God is still present and active to have hope, to hold on, to have courage. And then a few years after Ezekiel had that vision with the wheels and becomes a prophet, Uh, This puppet king that Babylon had established uh, decides he doesn't want to be a puppet anymore and leads a rebellion, which Babylon immediately crushes. Uh, And Babylon moves in and takes Jerusalem, uh, kills an awful lot of people, completely destroys the city and completely destroys the temple, loots all of the riches, everything is taken out of the temple, molten down, sold, nothing, nothing remains. Uh, And Jerusalem, over, over history, I read recently, it's been conquered and destroyed 21 times in the last 3,000 years or so by different people. And so Judah ceases to become uh, a country, and after they, after they destroy the temple and destroy the city, they, the Babylonians round up just about everyone who isn't poor and sends them into exile into Babylon that's the third exile and it's the big one if you ever hear talk of the exile that's the one that's the one that comes after Jerusalem is destroyed and everything everything changes for the Jewish people reality forces them to to reconsider what they thought about God being located in a specific place and present with only a specific people and Ezekiel and Jeremiah are around and others to help them reform and rethink and renew their theology and their ethics, their sense of covenant, and to consider where they went wrong. To look back at their history and figure out where, where did we go wrong? What did we not do that was right? And so Ezekiel can look back and have this little passage in the 16th chapter. It goes back to Abraham As I live, says the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. He's talking to the people at that time. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. We often hear that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was sex or homosexuality. That's not it at all. The sin of Sodom was lack of hospitality and forgetting about the needy. You know, think of Jesus' words that we read about giving uh, to the hungry and the thirsty and visiting the prisoners. This is why we give money to the food pantry and why we're out taking water uh, to people that live on the streets. Because that's what God calls us to do. And the people also had to rethink this arrogant assumption that God would protect them no matter what they did. Even though they were chasing after other gods, they still had this thought of, well, we're still God's people. God's going to protect us. But uh, uh, just because we are God's uh, chosen people. But God had this to say. The word of the Lord came to me. Mortal, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given us given to us to possess. And God says, No. It doesn't work that way. Then there's some familiar words that Jesus repeats. The word of the Lord came to me. Mortal, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to the shepherds, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the strayed, you have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. Therefore I shall gather my flock, and I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? When you drink of clear water, must you foul the rest with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have fouled with your feet? Therefore I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. Really, A foreshadowing of Jesus as well. And then there's some baptismal-like words that uh, Ezekiel offers that we read uh, a little earlier. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And he has a great vision of the valley of dry bones where God tells him to prophesy to the bones and make them come back to life. Uh, the Symbolic uh, foreshadowing that the people will be restored, that those in exile will go back to the land And then there's a bunch of chapters at the end that the writer of Revelation borrows from, a vision of a restored Jerusalem of God living uh, right with the people, Uh, much like that Revelation passage of the new city of Jerusalem with the temple in the middle and God living there and all these riches uh, and also this obsession with measuring. Ezekiel has this vision. The Lord was upon me. And brought me to Jerusalem. He brought me in visions of God to the land of Israel, and set me down upon a very high mountain, like a stru- which was a structure like a city to the south. And a man was there whose appearance shone like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And now there was a wall all around the outside of the temple area. The length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed, and the height, one reed, and then he went into the gateway facing east, going up its steps, and measured the threshold of the gate, one reed deep, uh, and so on and so on. He ends up measuring everything. Uh, he measures for the rest of chapter 40, uh, and then through 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, and 48 through the very end of Ezekiel. If you like stories in which the protagonist measures things, Ezekiel's your book. And while he's measuring, this man in the linen cloth also gives him new laws about living justly, about mercy, about how the land is to be divided once the people come back. And that's what Jesus builds on. That's the Judaism that Jesus grows up with. And that becomes a, a reformed, uh, Judaism, and, and it's, it's also that uh, Judaism and these visions of Ezekiel that the writer of Revelation builds on. You know, Ezekiel is giving hope to people in exile. The writer of Revelation is giving hope to the, the Christian people who've only been around for 50 or so years, but who are being persecuted by Rome. Uh, the writer of Revelation is giving them hope that that will end. Ezekiel is saying, yeah, Babylon is powerful. We thought we were powerful. Assyria, Egypt, uh, also powerful. But God, God. And Jesus says to his people, remember God. Points to God. Prophets point us to God. Revelations writer says, Rome is powerful and it can kill us. But God, God. There's danger in the world. Things that are scary. Places that aren't safe, we have that today. We've had killings in theaters and places of worship. Our economy is kind of what it is. Financial anxiety, there's a lot going on. But Jesus and the prophets, they give us that promise that God has it all under control. And that we're free to live fully today. And Ezekiel ends with these words, the very last sentence of the book of of Ezekiel, after measuring this new city. And the name of the city from that time on shall be called the Lord is there. The Lord is there. That's the promise. Amen.